all know a guy who only occasionally shaves for big occasions, and it's because that occasional shave really hurts. It's the time of year for big occasions, and yet there he is, suffering with that cheap drugstore razor. Let's help him out. Henson Shaving's line of razors, built with aerospace precision, deliver a smooth shave your dad, brother, and even son can enjoy, eventually. With replacement blades just 10 cents each, you'll buy it once, and they'll use it for life. How's that for the perfect gift? Celebrate with 100 free blades on your first purchase, and no subscription headaches. HensonShaving.com slash holiday. Of what the mercies of God can do. If you knew me then, you'd believe me. I promise I'm not emotionally unstable. <laughs> you can't tell that I was almost evicted yesterday because Jesus has given me such peace, such mercy, so full and rich with mercy. And I mean it too, <laughs> because the funny thing is. You think that with Jesus on your side, he's against the people who hurt you. What he did for me was more than defend me. He set me free from unforgiveness, from anger, from self-hate. And he gave me an identity. (laughs) And that's what the mercy of God can do. Sorry, I couldn't get through the first verse because it just hit me right in the face. <laughs> it really did. Oh man, but I had to share because our word really tells us who Jesus is. And he has so many names that when I was getting to know him, I didn't know that I was getting a father. I didn't know that I was getting a brother. I thought I was, you know, he was gonna show me something I ain't never seen before. He they call him everlasting father. Everlasting. I have no need or want for anything. I'm full and complete in Christ. And to be here, it brings me to tears. Because you live a life not knowing. No one will affirm it for you. Nobody will pay attention to you. But you keep speaking the same things. He's so good. I have to cry about it, I'm sorry.
God. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Body of Christ Real Talk. Welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in for this show. God's mercy. Do we really understand and could we really in any way comprehend the mercy of God. I think about sometimes how often do we and myself take God's mercy for granted? Now, God's mercy is God's grace. Let me repeat. God's mercy is God's grace that he poured upon the world not just the saved but upon the world see God's mercy is manifested regardless if you feel him or you feel it or you experience it or not his grace is still sufficient for all of us. See, God's mercy is proven every day. God's mercy is proven, has been proven for thousands of years. Different ages, different stages, different times. God's mercy and his grace has been proven. Beautiful words. Beautiful words. Mercy, God's mercy. Sometimes we go through things. Uh, we go through struggles. We go through heartaches and we go through hurts more than we experience somewhat victory in our lives. You agree? And it's different levels for different folk, you know, different believers or different people that's just struggling. And what people still in the church, in the body of Christ, and the unsaved world have, have, have a struggle trying to get to know Christ or how to be saved because they think they have done so bad in life and struggled so bad in life and sinned beyond forgiveness. Many people in the world, even believers, many people in the world uh, saved and the unsaved struggle with forgiveness 
I'm not talking about forgiving others. We also know that's an issue, but I'm saying how many people say, how could God forgive me? What I be doing, what I'm into, uh, what I have done, what, you know, my, my, my attitude, my lust, my drugs, my struggle, my this, my that, my own unforgiveness, my wretchedness. How could a loving God forgive me? Brother, sister, saved, unsaved. God done that over 2,000 years ago on the cross. That part has already been taken care of. See, I know that's hard for many people to to believe and uh, many people to accept, especially the lost, especially the unsaved, to accept that. But that part, which is called forgiveness, has been nailed on the cross with Jesus over 2,000 years ago. That's done. That's finished. God took all sins of the world upon himself on that cross through the resurrection, which is called the atonement. Why do you think he said it is finished? Did you ever think about what did Jesus mean when he said it is finished? Did, do you know what that means? Let me let me give you uh, the answer to that. If you don't know, you probably say, "Oh yeah, that's, that uh, that means he it is finished. He he it is done. He took care of everybody." Says, "Okay, you you understand that part, good. But how much understanding and how much do you comprehend, or do you really really know what happened?" When he said it was finished, and and I and I I almost know this, many believers and unbelievers that's in churchism or Christendom still cannot comprehend the mercy and the grace of God of what happened when Jesus took care of the sins on the cross. See, there's this type of stigma, this type of belief in Christendom that the church has been told that forgiveness only comes by salvation. Forgiveness only comes by salvation. That's the traditional belief of the majority of Protestant churches today, including the Catholic Church and the Protestant church or the Reformation church, whatever denominational church today. That's the traditional belief of the church today. We have been programmed in denominationalism to believe that forgiveness of sins comes through only salvation. Therefore, many believers or most believers believe they have been forgiven because of something what they've done by believing Jesus Christ or ex- somewhat whatever way they think they be- accepted Christ in their life for salvation. Their 
forgiveness of sins is based on what they done. Stepping in faith and believing what Christ done so their sins have been forgiven. See? So, if that's the case, what do you think your witness is going to be like to the world? Repent of your sins. You must confess your sins. You must do this. You must do that. You must do this. You must do that for your sins to be forgiven by God. You must try to do the Ten Commandments. There's so many salvation messages out there. Yes, there's many so-called gospel salvation messages out there to the world. And most all of them are error. It's not correct. Now, let me, let me, let me, let me say it this way. It depends. You see, you have a sinner's prayer, a traditional uh, man-made sinner's prayer. Lord, forgive me my sins. I'm a sinner, etc., and stuff like that. Then you have the confess of your sins prayer. Then you have the repent of your sins prayer and be baptized. The Acts two thirty eight prayer. You have the John three sixteen prayer. You have the Romans uh, nine ten and nine prayer. You have this prayer. You have that prayer. You have the prayer of uh, Ephesians two and eight prayer. See, there's many ways that the church tells an unsaved person what they must do. The most popular one and the well-known one is always used, always conditional. Something that we must do to be saved. That's usually the salvation gospel or the salvation doctrine in most churches today. Come to the altar. See? You must do this step. You must confess your sins. You must do this. Now, see, that's not the only issue uh, with the so-called salvation message, you know. But the other issue is the how to hold on to your salvation. Because many churches do not believe in the assurance of salvation or what some people call once saved, always saved. You really have to explain that. I don't like to use that term, even though there's truth in that, but it needs to be explained. So many churches don't believe in the assurance of salvation. What do I mean by the assurance? They don't believe once you have been saved by faith alone. You are set, you are sealed. They believe you can lose your salvation because of traditional teachings in the churches. Most churches believe that way, that you can lose your salvation. So therefore, even when I was growing up spiritually in the church, many people, the most churches I went to, you always had this certain altar call. They called it, if you need to, they, call, they had a certain salvation message for the unsaved to come to the altar. They had a message for the saved, the ones that's been struggling with sins and they need to confess their sins and, and get back on track with God. So they came to the altar. There's many different issues or different type of formulas in Christendom and even in the body of Christ. I, those, I, I do those separately. 
see of salvation or how to be saved or how to keep how to keep your salvation that beautiful uh, medley at the beginning I just played it's a beautiful song it's, it's a very beautiful song it has a strong message this young lady I never heard of her uh, I think her name was Aja Walls or something I don't know who she are but the churches today are filled with so so many gifted young men and women gifted as in vocal and singing and worship or whatever they're very gifted they're very gifted okay but I I wonder and only God really knows all things, of, of, of course. But I wonder, are they saved? See, I'm not going back their lifestyle or whatever like that, because I don't know them from Adam. But my, per, my point is, are they saved? And, and if they think they saved, what message are they going by? Because you know, so I don't want to. I don't want to judge no one the wrong way. Because that's not what I'm, I'm not talking. I'm not trying to judge this person or this beautiful song. What I am saying, and that surrounding. I don't know what church this is. I don't know what gathering. I don't know if it's a concert. I don't know what it is. Because Christian don't became so, so much like a social club now. You can't dif differentiate what's real and what's not. Because especially in the the millenniums and the younger churches they're so uh, bent down on emotions and feelings see we all know a guy who only occasionally shaves for big occasions and it's because that occasional shave really hurts it's the time of year for big occasions and yet there he is suffering with that cheap drugstore razor let's help him out Henson Shaving's line of razors built with aerospace precision deliver a smooth shave your dad brother and even son can enjoy eventually with replacement blades just 10 cents each you'll buy it once and they'll use it for life how's that for the perfect gift celebrate with 100 free blades on your first purchase and no subscription headaches hensonshaving.com slash holiday it's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. On emotions and feelings today, and I'm not against emotions because you can't take the. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not against feeling things. See, I'm not against that, but feelings and emotions can be so misguided, and sometimes uh, in the Christendom, the church building, especially when it comes to. Uh, uh, a lot of Pentecostal and charismatic churches or you know those churches and stuff like that that does a lot of worship and does a lot of praise and I talked about this on my other show that's into a lot of worship and a lot of praise they base 
their infilling of the Holy Spirit or their closeness to God by majority of the time their feelings and their emotions or how they feel. They believe that they will usher in the presence of the Holy Spirit with music and song and worship. Why? Because of the tears and the emotions and stuff like that. So they feel the Holy Spirit is in the house. The Holy Spirit is his spirit, his presence is there because of the chill bumps and because of the emotions. And I'm gonna tell you, it's such a a beautiful feeling, but it's but it's just a feeling. See, it's just a feeling. Okay. Now I'm gonna say this again, so nobody uh, misunderstood what I'm saying. Misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not judging these people. I'm not saying that. I've been there. I know about that. I love worship. I love praising God. I, I get emotional. I get it. I get it. But one thing I know now that because you are emotional and you share some tears and you feel these little things in your body does not mean that's the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. See, especially if you live in an ungodly life. Because many worldly people goes to a lot of denominational, big mega uh, Protestant churches, you know, Pentecostals and charismatic churches. And usually the majority of the service is dominated by music over the word. The majority of the service in Christendom, especially uh, charismatic type of Pentecostal churches. You know, you have the churches like uh, the Hillsong, you know, uh, the different Hillsong sound. It's a certain sound and a certain way of sound that attracts a lot of young people. You got the, the Hills, the Hillsong crowd, you know, and you got the uh, the worship and the metal, the metally type of crowds and stuff like that, and they worship. It's like it's almost like a hypnotism when you go to a lot of those services. See, and I'm gonna tell you where I'm going. It's a lot of hypnotism in those type of services. It draws you into worship, and most of the time psychosomatically you start to share tears and you feel this movement and you feel like you're on cloud nine and with the worship and the praising and everything like that and you just come to the conclusion or you have been told that's the presence of the Holy Spirit. Why do I say you've been told most people? Because you might have this evangelist speaker or this guest speaker or even your pastor saying, this is the presence of God. I feel the presence of God in this room, like the Benny Hens and a lot of other worship, uh, uh, some other worship leaders, they, they use the term, this is the presence of God in the house. Then everybody's just, it's almost like you've been hypnotized. See, I I was in that uh, traditional belief then because I, the majority of my upbringing spiritually was in 
Pentecostal and then they move towards more charismatic, which they're really somewhat alike. You know, there are somewhat differences on the beliefs of gifts and stuff like that. But I, I grew up spiritually in the Pentecostal charismatic movement. You follow what I'm saying? So I'm talking about my upbringing spiritually. Okay. This is Joseph Brownlee. Before I go any further, Body of Christ Real Talk. And this will be part five on spiritual obesity. Spiritual obesity. And what I want to talk about tonight. First of all, let me digress. The first few shows, even the introduction, I dealt with denominationalism. I dealt with the history of denominations. If you want to know more about that, I recommend you just go back and check out the last uh, four previous podcasts. I know on my podcast I said three, but I was excluding the introduction. So altogether, I've done about four shows, in, including uh, the introduction of spiritual obesity okay so please I just ask you to go back to those shows uh, and start from there because I don't know how many shows I'm going to go through I hope hopefully it doesn't be 10 like the uh, the diet show that I've done but you know whatever uh, the spirit of Lord takes me and whatever I keep coming up with because I just keep coming up with things all of a sudden and everything like that so to add to to this but anyway welcome hello everybody how you doing welcome to this show okay now what I I didn't even plan what I was going to talk about today and whether you know it or not when I talk about things it's it's off the cuff about a certain subject I have no notes and that can be an issue sometimes, but I seldomly, seldom, very seldomly use notes. I just flow. I just go. So I very seldomly use notes, unless it's something I'm really trying to research. And when I left the other podcast, by not having no notes, uh, I might make a uh, uh, an error. I might make a mistake because I don't have no notes. So I might even say the wrong name or of somebody, whatever like that, because I'm just talking and just coming off the cup. As you would say, I'm just talking out of my heart, you know. So the majority of all my shows, I have over 376 podcasts. Wow. <laughs> 376 podcasts. And I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying this because most of my shows 90% of my shows or more is just shows without no notes some of it wasn't even planned I just start hitting a subject or I think about a subject or I just bump it and I just think this way and I just start talking about it and sometimes it just becomes a series because there's so much information just builds up in me see I believe a lot of it is from the Holy Spirit and some of it is from my own, you know, myself, you know, my own study and stuff like that, you know. So I just flow. I just flow and I just go. Even before I started this, you know, I started with this melody because I wanted to 
open up with mercy and get grace, God's mercy and grace. This was not planned. I just wanted to get, I just started that way. That's how I do my podcast. It's very different than a lot of people that do their podcasts, I believe, that have notes and they have edits and they have editing and stuff like that. My podcasts be everywhere sometimes. I Sometimes I don't know what I'm going to talk know a guy who only occasionally shaves for big occasions and it's because that occasional shave really hurts it's the time of year for big occasions and yet there he is suffering with that cheap drugstore razor let's help him out henson shavings line of razors built with aerospace precision deliver a smooth shave your dad brother and even son can enjoy eventually with replacement blades just 10 cents each you'll buy it once and they'll use it for life how's that for the perfect gift Celebrate with 100 free blades on your first purchase and no subscription headaches. Hensonshaving.com slash holiday. Talk about and I just go at it and then I flow from there and I flow from there. And it amazes me sometimes because the information that I study and I, you know, and I read a lot of stuff I'm talking about is just from memorization. That's why I have some error sometimes because it's not perfect, but it's from memorization and everything. Okay, so tonight in spiritual obesity, I'm not going to deal so much with denominationalism in the sense of the beginning of it, the beginning of denominations. But what I want to ease into more tonight is because uh, the the, uh, traditional upbringing in the church that I was up that I came up with when it comes to the, the Pentecostal movement and then moving to the charismatic movement. And whoever grew up spiritually in that movement, this is for you. Now, for the ones that did not, I don't know what denomination you came from. It's the same thing, but you might not have the same teachings and the same type of doctrine or traditional upbringing in your church, like the Pentecostal or charismatic upbringing. You know, with that being said, I say it that way because that's the church that I was uh, brought up in. The Pentecostal church, you know, going through the charismatic movement. That's what I was, the church, I mean, that's what I was brought up in, you know. So I can talk from experience about me and that movement and what I know now compared what I knew then and the traditional Pentecostal charismatic movement. Okay? All right. The Church of God in Christ. Remember I talked about that the other day on the last show. The Church of God in Christ is just uh, the name of a pen- name of a Pentecostal ch- uh, a church that came out of the Pentecostal movement was the Church of God in Christ. The name of our church was the first Rock of Ages. Of course, it, the rock meaning Jesus and stuff like that. I didn't know that back then, but I know that now. So the name of our church was the first rock of ages. Now, that's not the denomination. The denomination is the Church of God in Christ. Remember, I talked about that, which was birthed out of the Pentecostal movement. Then I gave you a little background and the history and everything like that. So what I'm what I want uh, you to understand now, traditionally, 
when did the Pentecostal movement start? Now, I want this to do. I want you to do this with your denomination as well. That's why I was talking about your statement is faith, and when whatever denomination you are in will help you a lot when you know when, unless you're an independent church. But I'm talking about denominations. When did that denomination or that church that you belong to start? Because most churches, all churches, after the apostles was man-made after that. It was somebody, it was started by somebody, some man, you know, human. Let me just put it that way. Some man started usually denominations or something like that. Now, I can speak for the Pentecostal church, all right? When the Pentecostal movement started, see? And that movement itself was started, you know, by a, 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 a man called Charles Parham. Charles Parham. Uh, back in the early 1906, the 20th century, 1906, Charles Parham is one of the starters. There was many, but Charles Parham was one of the ones that started talking about the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the gifts and signs and wonders start coming back to life in the church. It was started by Charles Parham in the uh, 20th century. Then uh, the second well-known Pentecostal leader was uh, this black preacher called uh, William J. Seymour. Many people know him as the one-eyed black preacher because he had a bad eye. He was a black preacher and he started the Azusa movement. See, back in early 1906 in Los Angeles and stuff like that, you know. Uh, that's the beginning of the Pentecostal movement really started developing in 1906 with Charles Parham and then you know you have William J. Seymour and you have this other lady I forgot her name but it was many in that movement but those are like the forefathers for like Martin Luther started the Lutheran Charles Parham really kicked in somewhat the Pentecostal movement in 1906 and then you have William J. Seymour the Azusa movement and stuff like that now it's very interesting uh, very interesting when it comes to Pentecostal uh, okay I have to pause there but the the start of the man-made traditional Pentecostal movement started in 1986 1906 I'm sorry for Charles Parham and it went to William J. Seymour and it went to other uh, groups and then it, it went on down the line but it started in 1906 that movement for the Pentecostal church anyway from that movement many churches was birthed from the Pentecostal movement like the Church of God and Christ the Holiness Churches the Assembly of God churches uh, you know even some other uh, Protestant churches that flavor or that style of movement was brought into their church now basically you might say you might say uh, is the Pentecostal movement biblical is this Pentecostal movement biblical now this is very important is this Pentecostal movement from the Bible. Now, what movement are you talking about? I'm talking about the movement that started here 
in America, 1906, with Charles Parham and uh, William J. Seymour, does it line up with the Bible? Does it line up with the traditional way that the Bible considers Pentecost? That's very important. It's very important in the eyes of God. That's very important. Not man, but in the eyes of God. But if you're going to be a Bible uh, scholar and somewhat, or be a Bible learner, you must uh, know this. You must understand this. You must know the terms of Pentecostal or whatever your church was started in. But I'm talking about Pentecostal, you know, uh, and stuff like that. Is, is th was this movement based on the biblical term of Pentecostal? Let's find out. Let's find out. Now, first of all, what you want to know, what was the Pentecostal movement? Okay. All right. Let me just let, listen to this one I'm just going to read. Pentecost, also known as Shavuot, is a Jewish holiday that celebrates the giving of the Ten Commandments to Moses at Mount Sinai. It is the 50th day after Passover, and it is considered one of the three major Jewish pilgrimage festivals. Three major Jewish pilgrimage festivals. Now, the word Pentecost comes from the Greek word for 50. Penta means 50. And the Bible, Pentecost is also associated with the coming of the Holy Spirit to the disciples of Jesus Christ, which that was, uh, of course, Acts 2, the day of Pentecost. All right. The Jewish meaning of Pentecost is that it is a time to celebrate the giving of the Torah or the law of Moses. It is also a time to reflect. We all know a guy who only occasionally shaves for big occasions, and it's because that occasional shave really hurts. It's the time of year for big occasions, and yet there he is, suffering with that cheap drugstore razor. Let's help him out. Henson Shaving's line of razors, built with aerospace precision, deliver a smooth shave your dad, brother, and even son can enjoy, eventually. With replacement blades just 10 cents each, you'll buy it once, and they'll use it for life. How's that for the perfect gift? Celebrate with 100 free blades on your first purchase, and no subscription headaches. HensonShaving.com slash holiday. Since 1981, Unbound has connected people like you with families worldwide on their self-directed paths out of poverty. A brighter future is possible for these families when we all walk together. Sponsor a child today and you'll help a family take the first steps on their path. Change their future in just one click. Start walking with your new friend today at unbound.org walk. On the importance of following the commandments and living a life of holiness for the Jew. Okay, Pentecost is a time for joy and celebration, but it is also it is also a time for introspection and reflection. It is a time to remember the covenant that God made with the Israelites. Okay, and to recommit ourselves. See ourselves. No, recommit themselves to following His commandments. Okay, here are some of the Jewish traditions and customs associated with Pentecost. Reading from the Torah on the Pentecost. The entire book of Ruth is read from the Torah. This book tells the story of Moabite women who marries an Israelite man and becomes the great grandmother of King David. 
offering two loaves of bread. On Pentecost, two loaves of bread are offered in the temple. These loaves represent the first fruits of the harvest, and they are a symbol of thanksgiving to God for his blessings. Here's another tradition of Pentecost, celebrating with family and friends. Pentecost is at a time for families and friends to come together and celebrate. There are often feasts and parties and people enjoy singing and dancing. Pentecost is a joy, joyous and festive holiday that is celebrated by Jews all over the world. It is a time to remember the giving of the Torah, to celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, and to rejoice in the love and blessing of God. Okay, I just read this. Uh, Pentecost. Now, I want you to do something if you was if you are in a, a Pentecostal church, whatever the church is, Church of God in Christ, Assemblies of God, Holy, all of them considered from a Pentecost church. Okay. If now the the question I asked was, is the Pentecostal movement today or back then in 1906 that was started by Charles Parham and you know uh, William J. Seymour and others is it in line with the Pentecostal traditional movement of the Bible after I read all this is it in line with the Pentecostal movement in the Bible, just with this somewhat definition. You have better definitions than this. You know, I can get into deep definitions. This is just uh, a bard or whatever, like that definition of it. So, but you can get in. It's many. It's a deeper, deeper definition of the Jewish Pentecost. Okay, now why did I say Jewish? In order for Pentecost, if it was still playing today. In order for me and you that's in a Pentecostal church or the church itself, one of the requirements for us to follow the Pentecost is, number one, we must be Jewish. Are you a Jew? Am I a Jew? We must be Jewish. It was a Jewish festival. Or you must be an Israelite. You must be Jew. This was strictly something for the Jews. Okay. All right. Keep that in mind now. To order to celebrate Pentecost, you must be Jew. You must be part of the Israelite family. Another uh uh I might just go blink some time. Another requirement. See, another requirement to, to be able to celebrate Pentecost is, number two, you must be under the law. See, this was a covenant law tradition. Remember, Penta means 50. They celebrated this on the 50th day after another traditional by the Jewish traditions under the law Passover. It is also, which is considered one of the three major Jewish pilgrimage festivals. Remember, put emphasis on Jewish. All these things is a Jewish festival or pilgrimage, you might want to call it. So that's what you must understand when it comes to Pentecost, the definition, I'm not going to go into full exalted definition of that, so you don't even need it out there. You just understand Pentecost was a celebration that was only celebration with the Jews when they was under the law. Many 
traditional or messianic Jews, you know, they still celebrate Pentecost today, even though the law is not in play today. Many traditional Jews celebrate Pentecost and Passover and different things like that. It's a, it's a, it's a pilgrimage, it's a festival that's only celebrated by Jewish people, which was under the covenant, under the Torah, under the law. Okay, all right. That's another required. Are you doing that? Was I doing that? Okay. All right. Now, what was one of the other requirements of the Pentecost? According to this article, reading from the Torah. The Torah was what? The five books of the Bible. The first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, Deuteronomy. On the day of Pentecost, the entire book of Ruth is read from the Torah. Okay, the Torah. Okay, all right, the Pentateuch is the five books of the Bible. The Torah is the Old Testament. Let me just put it that way, the Torah. My error is the Old Testament. The entire book of Ruth is read from the Torah. This book tells of the story of Moabite woman, which was a Gentile who marries an Israelite man and becomes the great-grandmother of King David. In other words, the book of Ruth which is a beautiful love story and it's just a picture of Jesus Christ of the world Boaz and all that beautiful story I love it. I recommend reading the book of Ruth has to be read on that day of Pentecost you, you follow what I'm saying that's one also another one of re the requirements of celebrating Pentecost reading from the Torah okay another um requirement for celebrating Pentecost is offering two loaves of bread on Pentecost. Do Pentecostal churches do that? Two loaves of bread are offered in the temple. These loaves represent the first fruits of the harvest and they are the symbol of thanksgiving to God for his blessings. Okay? Now, just that little bit I have read about Pentecost is the Pentecostal movement in line with the biblical example or the biblical term of celebrating Pentecost. When you go to your church, if you are in a Pentecostal church, whatever the church is, or remember when I say Pentecost, I'm talking about the church that uh, 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 mostly uh, deals with or is in line with signs, wonders, gifts, speaking in tongues, whatever like that. And so I'm not saying all Pentecostal churches, but I'm just meaning if you are from a, a kind of a Pentecostal charismatic type of church or whatever like that. So let's let's just stick to Pentecostal church or something like that. Okay. Do you celebrate Pentecost? every 50th day after the Passover. Okay. Are you Jew? Are you under the covenant? Or under the law? See, why I'm going there? Because it's very important to understand when you celebrate something to know what it is and why it's celebrating and who supposed to be celebrating it. That's very important. See? Now, many churches 
and the Pentecostal movement is birthed out of their belief that the church started in Acts 2, correct? The day of Pentecost. And the majority of these churches that birthed this Pentecostal movement put emphasis on the day of Pentecost, the speaking in tongues and different things like that. And they put a lot of emphasis on that, speaking in tongues and then a little signs and wonders coming in and stuff like that. They basically ignored the real meaning and the other festivals that was required in the Pentecostal movement, the real Pentecostal movement. Now, there are several errors in this. First of all, Gentiles are not Jews. Okay, Gentiles are not Jews. Therefore, Gentiles uh, do should not celebrate Pentecost because this was a Jewish festival that was Israel who was under the covenant, who was under the law. See, you, you, you understand what I'm saying? That's very important to understand. See, see those errors. So what was the main focus? What I see was the main focus of this Pentecostal movement was the speaking in tongues, the signs and wonders and the gifts and stuff like that, just like the charismatic church. That's basically what uh, was tucking out of that movement, not the real meaning what it was for. See, another error is what was tongues? That's another era that's in the Pentecostal church because they believe the, the speaking in tongues was a, a, a old ancient language from what I just heard or it was speaking to God in an angelic angel, an angelic language, etc. stuff like that, which is another era. Pentecostal, I mean, tongues just mean language. See, they all met up at that day, at that time, at that festival, Pentafithia. The Jews came from different nations, different Gentile nations, and they met up there to celebrate that special festival because that was one of their festivals under the law. See, under the law. That's why they had to meet up there. It wasn't a requirement. It was a mandate. They had to meet up there. That was part of a mandate or a commandment they had to do. So that's why all the Jews met up there that were scattered. They met up there from their different nations, you know, because the Jews were scattered in different Gentile nations. You understand what I'm saying? So the for order for the upper room, mainly the twelve, Peter and the other ones, to communicate to them, the language had to be understood in the nation that they lived in, see, or they was born in or whatever like that, so that's why they was amazed when they heard their own language, they heard their own tongue, you, you understand what I'm saying? They heard their own, own original tongue the day of Pentecost, their language. So when you put more emphasis on language than just tongues, you will understand that it just meant another language and understood that language. But I'm not here to do a teaching on that, okay? But I want you to understand that the day of Pentecost was a Jewish festival. See, the 50th day after their other festival, which is the Passover festival, the Jews had many festivals. They had many things that they done, but it was all under the covenant, all under the law. See, 
You have many Pentecostals will tell you they're not under the law, they're under grace. Okay, if you believe that and you know that, why do you call yourself Pentecostals? The reason, only reason I can think you call yourself Pentecostal is based on Acts 2 and signs and wonders and speaking in tongues. So you just stole that name, not the traditional and the requirements. You just took the name and made a denomination out of it like many churches do today. You took the name, not the requirements because you're not Jewish. You know, you're not under the law. So those requirements, it's not required for any Gentile church. So basically what it looks like to me is you just stole the name and you made a traditional denomination out of it. That's 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 what I see. See, because you're not following the requirements of Pentecostalism and, and God wouldn't ordain it. Or condone it anyway because you are not under the law and the law is not in play anyway. And then if it was in play, it wouldn't be for you anyway because you were a Gentile. You're not a Jew because the Gentiles were never under the law or under the covenant. So it would not be condoned by God anyway. If the law was still going on, it would not be condoned by God. You, you, you follow what I'm saying? So it's like a waste of time. God is not in, into names. You can't just steal and use a Jewish festival and make it out of a church or a traditional or an occult. And basically, that's what you look, look like in the eyes of God, an occult. When you call yourself a Pentecostal, God is not into the Pentecostal name. He's not into what you call your church, the name of your church, no matter how beautiful it sounds. The church of the holiness of this, the first rock of ages, the, the assemblies of God, the movement of this and all that. God is not interested in that. God is not interested in no denominations. God is interested in sound doctrine. The infallible word of God. What's been taught? Ouch. Ouch. Okay. When it comes to Pentecostal movement. All right. Now the charismatic movement. The Pentecostal movement predated the charismatic movement. So you can say somewhat the charismatic movement was birthed out of the Pentecostal movement. The charismatic movement came out around approximately 1960 to the 1970 until now then you have the charismatic movement. See? And they're they are, they are more into the signs and wonders and gifts and prosperity movie more than the uh, Pentecostal movement. You know, from what I've been uh sin and the charismatic movement now put those two together because these are later denominations 
See, now what is the the charismatic deals with gifts? They enter the gifts, signs and wonders, and gifts and everything like that. You know, most most charismatic church, not all, but most charismatic church. They in different. You got charismatic people and Episcopalian, you know, Lutheran church. It just means they enter the gifts and whatever like that. Not all of them into signs and wonders and stuff like that. But I believe the majority of the leaders of the charismatic church are in to uh, signs, wonders, and gifts, and they are very emotional. They deal with a lot of emotions and deal with a lot of feelings, just like the Pentecostal church. Feelings, emotions, signs, wonders, gifts, and stuff like that, okay? Now, <clears throat> I'm taking this little by little. The Jewish under the law when did signs and wonders really start in a in a sense that it was really manifested real strong? Do you know? First of all, when God done signs and wonders, who did he do it for? Not who did he do it to, because some of them was bad for other people, but who did he do it for? He done it for Israel. He done it for the Jews, never for the Gentiles. It was for the Jews. Signs, wonders, miracles, and stuff like that. Now, when Moses went up to that mountain and he seen that burning bush that would not consume, God told him this and whatever, you know, how he could deliver his people and everything know a guy who only occasionally shaves for big occasions and it's because that occasional shave really hurts it's the time of year for big occasions and yet there he is suffering with that cheap drugstore razor let's help him out henson shavings line of razors built with aerospace precision deliver a smooth shave your dad brother and even son can enjoy eventually with replacement blades just 10 cents each you'll buy it once and they'll use it for life how's that for the perfect gift celebrate with 100 free blades on your first purchase and no subscription headaches hensonshaving.com slash holiday when you save on auto insurance for driving safe with usaa safe pilot you'll feel like a big deal even in a traffic jam save up to 30 percent with usaa safe pilot restrictions apply like then and god told him how he's going to deliver them or whatever like that now this is under uh uh uh, basically before the reading of the law this is before the law see this is before the reading of the law which started in, uh, somewhat Exodus 24 not Genesis the Old Testament started somewhat in Exodus 24 not Genesis Genesis is not Old Testament okay and I'm, I'm going to talk about that on the next show but uh, Exodus 24 that was the beginning of the law which is called the Mosaic law okay uh, after God done his signs and wonders, I think he done about what? Ten plagues and ten miracle signs and wonders, including the uh, departing of the Red Sea and stuff like that. That was a really the big beginning of the signs and wonders for Israel. Israel seeked signs ever since. That was their pedigree. They, that's, they was known by seeking signs. See, and stuff like that, signs and wonders. This is very important to know when it comes to Israel. No Gentiles now. Signs of wonder. Gentiles knew Israel by that. 
That's how they knew. They knew the God of Israel was about signs and wonders and dumb miraculous things. They knew that. The Gentile nations knew that. See, it was the Jews that brought this outstanding, powerful God that done signs and wonders and incredible things in the Jewish life. And I'm trying to make it plain. And Israel's life and stuff like that. See, now, even through the prophets and, you know, Elijah, Elisha and different prophets and different things like that, God was moving with signs and wonders through men and some women through who? Israel. Through Israel. Now, when you get back to the day of Pentecost, I mean, let's go through Jesus' earthly ministry. When Jesus came, he came doing what? Besides his teaching, signs and wonders and healing, raising the dead because there was prophesied in the book of Isaiah. So when Jesus came on earth, he was doing signs, wonders and miracles and healing too. For who? Israel. It was only a couple of Gentiles that Jesus done miracles on. There was the Roman centurion and the Canaanite woman from her daughter in Matthew 15, 24. See, just two because of their faith. And they wasn't, they was Gentile. It's because they understood the connection between Israel and God and salvation. They knew salvation came through the Jews, which Jesus said. So it was only two Gentiles that was healed through the four Gospels. It was the Roman centurion and the Canaanite woman, which you will find in Matthew 15, 24. Everybody else was who? The Jews. So by me saying that, where did the signs and wonders was manifested? It was for the Jews and Israel under what? The covenant under the law. You understand what I'm saying? So when you go through Jesus' earthly ministry after his death, burial, resurrection, then you continue on through the book of Acts until you get up to Acts 9, it was still under the kingdom program. Now, what you must, I'm going to get into that tomorrow. I don't want to confuse you, but I want, I want you to know this right now because I'm going to get into New Testament and Old Testament. What's the difference between New Testament and Old Testament? And also is the church part of the New Testament. See, many already know we are not part of the Old Testament, but are we part of the New Testament? I'm going to talk about that on the next segment. And then in some scriptures, so get your pen and your Bible ready because I'm going to be hitting some scriptures. You know, so you can know for yourself from now on what's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament and is the church part of the New Testament. But I'm going to tell you this right now. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John is Old Testament. And I'm going to tell you why it's Old Testament. Jesus was born under a woman born in the law, according to the book of Galatians. When Jesus came on the earth, the law was still in play. There was no New Testament because Jesus, first of all, was still alive. I'm going I'm to go through some scriptures uh, in the book of Hebrews and other scriptures, Lord's willing, on the next show. And uh, because Jesus was still alive. When did the New Testament start? The New Testament started after the death of Jesus. Those, the end of the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
the end of those books after the death of Jesus, that's when the new covenant was going in and play. But was it for the, was it the start or the uh the was it the start of going into the new church in Acts two? That's what I'm going to talk about tomorrow. Okay. Uh, I hate to leave you on edge. Some of you should know, and some don't, okay? But I'm going to talk about it anyway. Repetitions is very important. Now, you might say, what does this got to do with spiritual obesity? A whole lot. Because the issue with the church today, the body and church and Christendom, is doctrine and they don't know how to rightly divide. Rightly dividing is very important for the Bible to come to life. So you got in order for you to understand the Bible, because if you don't know how to rightly divide, you will pick up a lot of traditional weight. And this is like the beginning of being obesity in the church today you have a lot of unwanted traditional weight on you that you do not have to have because of you we are caught up in so many traditions and beliefs about the bible because we are not to rightly divide many people do not know how to rightly divide i had to learn myself and i lose the weight every day see so the, on the next uh show I will be getting into the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament and stuff like that and is the New Testament part of the church now you ought to know Matthew Mark the ones that listen to my show should understand Matthew Mark Luke and John is still Old Testament because Jesus is still alive see and I'm gonna tell you why it's like that on the next show okay all right I hope you got something out of this. I, I didn't want it as long as the other shows because I want to just stretch it so you can get some type of understanding. And what I'm getting into now is the Pentecostal movement. Now, what you should have got out of this if you was brought up in a Pentecostal holiness church, assemblies of God or whatever like that, you know, <clears throat> to compare your beliefs or your tradition in your church to Pentecostal, what is the real meaning and definition of Pentecost? What is Pentecost? Those things are very important. Those things are very important. Who was Pentecost for? Was it for everybody? You already know it was not. It was only for the Jewish. That was under the law, under the covenant. See? I also said if the church that so-called calls themselves Pentecostal church already broke a lot of error. It's a lot of things. If you want to call yourself and put yourself under the law, which is all about by being in the Pentecostal movement. If you was under the law, just say if the law was going on today, a lot of us would be messed up or dead. Because we we breaking the law day by day. Nobody can fulfill the law, period, which is over 613 different things in, in the fullness of the law, moral, civil, and everything. This is excluding the Ten Commandments, which you can't follow either. But my point is, even if you was under the law, you already broke it, period. See? 
because you took the name and you took certain things that you like about Pentecost and started a denomination. You started another church. See, which God is totally against. Jesus hates tradition. He hates man-made traditions. See, you don't think you know the difference between Jews and Gentiles? Even today? You don't think Jesus know the difference? Uh, sometimes you sometimes denominations think that they act like God is just going to accept anything that man do. He's going to come down to our level and accept our traditions. It don't work like that. Why bring traditions and the law back in something that Christ died to get rid of? By grace. I'm going to talk about a lot of that tomorrow, okay? Until then, remember this. Salvation is for today. The only way to be saved today is under this dispensation is to believe by faith alone in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ for salvation today and you will be saved. You will be saved. Now, to believe that to accept that genuinely you have to lose weight spiritually you have to get the other traditional ways that you was told to be saved or you will not really accept this or your doctrine would be false when you witness to somebody else there's so much to talk about but that's the way for salvation today according to 1 Corinthians 15 1-4 under this program or administration or dispensation, okay? So, the next program I'm going to be talking about what's the difference between the Old and New Testaments and talk about, start getting more into the two programs that has been operated in the Word of God. One program is still going on now. The other program will return in the future. And also, I'm going to bust some bubbles. You're not Israel. There's no reformed Israel. Many super, they call them super cessationists, you know, uh, believe that the church, so-called church, has taken over for Israel. No, 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 no. You there's a lot of things you need to learn about the Bible and the programs. Israel will be back. And I'm going to tell you how and how they're going to come. They will be back. And it has something to do with a covenant, a testament. So Israel will return. Remember, you have to understand when you say church, remember there's more than one church in the Bible. You have the Church of the Wilderness. You have the Messianic Kingdom Church. You know, the Jewish Church. Both of the wilderness and the uh, Messianic Church is for Israel. It's for Jewish. Then you have the Body of Christ, which is for the whole world, predominantly Gentiles. So you have to be very precise when you talk about the church. See, if you're not, you're going to have this issue that I'm trying to explain now all these thousands of denominations and beliefs because you don't know how to rightly divide God's word. 
I love y'all. Peace out. This is Joseph Brownlee, Body of Christ. Real talk. Until next time, stay tuned for that. Okay? Now, what I'm going to do now, I'm going to continue with this melody. Okay? Mercy. And I want you to suck this in and just listen to the words. Okay, listen to the words. This is a beautiful song, okay? So until then, I love you all. Bye-bye. Beautiful medley called Mercy. Without the mercy of God Now I'm allowed to tell the story Of how
bless you. Peace out. Real talk. We all know a guy who only occasionally shaves for big occasions, and it's because that occasional shave really hurts. It's the time of year for big occasions, and yet there he is, suffering with that cheap drugstore razor. Let's help him out. Henson Shaving's line of razors, built with aerospace precision, deliver a smooth shave your dad, brother, and even son can enjoy, eventually. With replacement blades just 10 cents each, you'll buy it once, and they'll use it for life. How's that for the perfect gift? Celebrate with 100 free blades on your first purchase, and no subscription headaches. HensonShaving.com slash holiday.